wants to dance. Stop it. Got my wife up here. Got the dance music. Just don't do that. Tyler and Felicia, they got married. What? What? And they're here this morning. What? That's amazing. <laughs> Hey, everybody, we are in a series that we're entitled Roadblocks, and we're really excited about um, what God's been going to do, what he's been doing in this series, and what we really anticipate happening today. If you were here last week, you learned that a roadblock is something that's in your path, something that's blocking your progress, something that the enemy leads across the road to keep you from being what God wants you to be, going where God wants you to go. And we said this, that behind every roadblock is a lie. And behind every breakthrough is a truth. And so what we're doing in this series is we're going to attack those lies with the truth. We're going to see what Satan's put in front of us, and we're going to destroy those lies with the truth that God has given to us. And so last week, if you were here, we, we started off and we looked at the story of this young man who was a rich young ruler. Uh, he was an aristocrat. He was well-born. He had everything going for him in life, it seemed like. He was kind of had life by the tail, but he knew there was something missing. And he couldn't quite put his finger on it. And so he, he came to Jesus and Jesus could see it. And so Jesus tried to put his finger on what the, the guy's problem was. It was his money. He had money in the place of where God was supposed to be. But you know, the young man wouldn't let Jesus touch that. He wouldn't surrender that to Jesus. And so he left sad. And we said this last week, if God can't touch it, he can't transform it. If there's areas in our life where we say, God, that's off limits. God, you can't touch that. Then he can't transform that. And so as we go through this roadblock series, church, we're asking, hey, let's have a submissive heart, right? Let's say, Lord, there's not any off, there's not any off limit places in my life. If you want to touch it, you can transform it. You have my permission. God, you're not my coach. You're my king. You're not giving suggestions, you're giving commands. Come on, church. That's who we follow. We follow a risen king, right? He didn't come just to suggest things to you. He came to tell you how you're supposed to live. Why? Because he loves you. And he's got, his, he's got the very best for you. We're going to unpack that more today. And today, I am so excited that I get to be joined up here by my beautiful wife, Michelle. And she's excited about this series. And she's going to tell you why. Yeah. So I am super excited about today's sermon when I looked at um, the sermon series, I'm like, ooh, pick me, please. Let me talk about this. Let me add it because this is something, um, this idea of roadblocks and a roadblock being a negative belief about ourselves that I talk about probably every day of my life. So there are students in the room that can say, yep, she's talked to me about that, right? And so I'm excited to um, just unpack that a little bit today. Um, we all know what the roadblock is that we can't move in the streets, right? Um, I don't know, does anyone wanna like, you know, say that they've moved a cone before? Like you've looked around and you're like, eh, you know, I don't even know why that's there. But then you come across some that are like, you know, you're not moving that, right? And what we're gonna talk about today are those kind of roadblocks that you need Jesus to move, guys. And we're gonna talk about how we work with Jesus to move some of those roadblocks. So in my world, we call a roadblock a negative belief. Where do they come from? They come from something in our past, right? Something that happened that gave a negative belief about ourselves, and it rears its ugly head every now and then, right? And so it could be something, you know, um, like your um, parent yelling at you when you were little. It could be a breakup. It could be being cut from a team. It could be a divorce. It could be being fired and everything in between. 
And so when we unpack that and we figure out, like, it's not as easy. I don't know if anybody remembers, like, the SNL skit where um, the therapist is sitting there and, you know, the girl comes in and she just, like, unpacks her, her stuff. And he just looks at her and he's like, stop it. You know, it's the Bob Newhart. And he's just like, just stop. Like, don't think that, right? And I wish it was that easy where we could just say, like, oh, stop thinking about that, right? But when I was younger, I know exactly where it came from. When I was 16, I developed this negative belief about myself that I was stupid, right? And it would come up, and it wasn't honestly until I was an adult that I learned about this idea of negative beliefs and where they came from and their impact that it had on my life. And so I find myself in my, you know, 30s going through graduate school, which seemed like an eternity, you know, graduate school after graduate school, and I knew at the end of graduate school, because I would always kind of compensate with the I feel stupid belief with just work harder, Michelle, you're fine, just work harder, just work harder. But I knew there was these tests at the end. And I would think about them and I would start sweating. I'm like, okay, like, don't, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, right? And I would sit and when it came to start to study, I would just start crying. I'm like, oh man. And my supervisor was like, Michelle, we got to get this taken care of. Like, what is happening here, right? And so we're going to unpack my story, and I'm going to go through that um, throughout this um, sermon today. Um, but yeah, it was it was tough. It was a journey. Um, but we all have them. Every single one of us have a negative belief about ourselves that can tend to be a roadblock, and you know. Um, rear its ugly head. Yeah, I do remember us getting ready for these tests. I remember you, you purchased like this testing material and you were going through that. And I remember thinking through all of this like, hard work that I watched you. I was telling the first service, uh, she is such a dedicated mom and wife and student that ev- whatever she's putting her heart and mind to, is just she's doing it with excellence 100%. And we just had our twins. She just gave birth to twin girls who are who were premature, who are in the NICU. And Michelle literally has her laptop on her lap finishing a term paper. Can you believe that? Like, she wouldn't give me an extension. So yeah, so do. that's the kind of person she is. So when she told me, about this negative belief. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, honey. Are you kidding? You're one of the most intelligent people I know. Like, why do you think that? But again, you can't just stop it, right? And I do remember thinking about those tests and, and really watching you wa- work toward that and, and everything that happened. And uh, man, I tell you, I, a new level of respect for Michelle came out of that whole thing as I watched her talk through that roadblock. But we want to talk about you. And we're going to ask you this question. Like, have you ever felt this way? Like, is that something that you can identify with? Yeah. Yeah. So I want everyone to think about that. Have you ever felt this way? Have you been in a situation and a feeling comes up and you're like, oh, it seemingly comes out of nowhere, but you're in a situation and you might even be able to know, man, every time I'm in this kind of situation, I get this kind of feeling, right? It just, it just kind of comes. And I want to talk today, practically speaking, you know, what those might look like, right? Because it took me a second to identify like, okay, what is this feeling? Why can't I stop crying? This is ridiculous. Only when I start to, you know, study or or think about, you know, these stupid tests, right? Um, And there's a lot of possibilities, but let me just see if any of these resonate with you. And again, there could be a hundred of them, but um, think about this, right? I'm not good enough. I should have known better. I'm shameful. I can't trust anyone. I'm powerless. Those guys can have the opportunity to 
just send us in a spiral, right? And for me, that feeling of like, oh, I feel stupid, right? I would try to stuff it and get rid of it, but it, it didn't just work by me just praying it away, right? And I love this, I love this quote by Pastor Craig Rochelle. He says this, he says, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we think shapes who we are. Guys, we've got some strong thoughts throughout the day, right? And there's a lot of thoughts that come, you know, in our, um, our mind throughout the day. And some of them are really strong and kind of take over and send us in a direction that we don't want to go. Yeah. And, you know, when we were preparing this message about these, I, these identities or these um, ideas that are in our minds that kind of shape the way we think about ourselves, I was reflecting on, on all the encounters that we have in the New Testament with Jesus. And there's this, there's this encounter that we're going to look at today where you just wonder, you just have to believe some of this exactly was in this person's mind. Uh, it's a powerful encounter. We're going to be in Mark chapter 5. We want you to turn your Bible there. It's a powerful encounter of this woman who meets Jesus, but he meets, she meets him in the middle of just a difficult circumstance. So in Mark chapter 5, let's set the scene together. As we think about these roadblocks, these things that are, that are these ideas in our minds that we have that keep us from where we want to be, where God wants us to be. And here's how the story starts. Jesus got in the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. Then the leader of a local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying. He said, please come and lay your hands on her, heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed crowding around him. So let's try to imagine this, right? I want to picture it like almost like a movie, right? So Jesus is, is arriving on this seashore with his disciples in a boat and there's this crowd that's gathered. They've heard Jesus is coming and all of a sudden out of the crowd, right? Maybe people being pushed away or whatever, comes this man and his name is Jairus. Jesus barely gets his feet on the, on the shore and Jairus is at his feet. Now, who's Jairus? He is the leader of the local synagogue. He's one of the most important guys in town. In fact, Jairus probably had the status that would be the highest in town. He, he was a male, so he, he afforded that status. And so he's coming to Jesus. Now, what's surprising though, is that Jairus is a synagogue leader and other synagogue leaders in Jesus haven't always got along, right? You have that crowd that Jesus kind of sometimes spars with who criticize Jesus for healing on the Sabbath and other things. And so Jairus, he probably belongs to that group of people, but his daughter is dying and it doesn't matter if there's a theological difference, right? Have you ever been there? Like, hey man, I'll try anything, right? If Jesus can heal my daughter, maybe, maybe we can get past our disagreements, right? And that's where we find Jairus. He's at his feet. He's risking maybe some ridicule from his buddies, from his crowd, but he doesn't care. My daughter's dying. It's urgent. So this crowd is around Jesus, and now they start to shuffle Jesus up to where Jairus' house is, where this little girl is. Well, it's almost like the camera pans. So we had that little vignette, that little interlude with G Jairus and, and Jesus, and now the camera kind of turns and focuses on somebody else in the crowd. And this is someone that's kind of on the outside. It couldn't be more different than Jairus. Look at this. This is a woman. It says, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. 
She had suffered a great deal for many doctors over the years. She had spent everything she had to pay, for, to pay them, but she had gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. So I want you to think about this woman for a second. Here's a woman and she's had, it's interesting, Jairus' daughter's 12. She's suffered for 12 years. There's an interesting contrast here. And so this woman is, is in the background. She's at the edges and she's been suffering. We know a few things from, from what we get from the culture. Any woman suffering in this way with this constant bleeding would have meant that she was no longer allowed in the synagogue. Think about that contrast. We have the ruler of the synagogue and someone not even allowed in synagogue. This is is as extreme a contrast as you can get, a man and a woman. We know this woman is poor. She spent everything she had trying to find remedy for her illness. And I want to just like kind of ask some questions maybe about where she's at psychologically. You know, what, what, what maybe was her mindset? Anyone that suffered for 12 years in any kind of chronic illness is going to start to really have these roadblocks, these mental thoughts about maybe where they, where they rate. Am I worthy? And, you know, there's, there was a shame component. And the shame component, even though we would look at it, it's like, lady, this isn't your fault. This is something that you couldn't help. In that culture, there is just a, a, an assumption that if you had something like ha- this happening to you, there is probably a reason for it. It's probably connected to something you've done wrong. That, that, you know, in this culture, there's a connection between people suffering with unexplained illness and maybe God's displeasure. In fact, we kind of see this show up in another place. The disciples are walking past this blind man. And this is in the book of John, and they see a blind man. And the blind man, you know, being there kind of uh, prompts a question. And they, they say to Jesus, Rabbi, um, why, why was this man born blind? And notice, this is the disciples continuing to speak. Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It's like those are the only options. Like if a man was born blind, if a person has a chronic illness, if somebody has something wrong with them, it's got to be connected to some kind of sin. And so you have, this, you have this kind of sad situation where this woman's been suffering for 12 years. She's tried everything she could think of. She's separated from the social group. She's not allowed in synagogue, so she's separated ritually or, or religiously. She's financially separated now. So, man, this lady has to be carrying some major roadblocks. Yeah, and I can't help but think, you know, if I had met her, right, yeah. and I'm talking to her, asking those questions, finding out what that roadblock is, you know, did she feel permanently damaged? Just like, I mean, 12 years, right? Did she feel unworthy? Have you ever felt unworthy, right, to even speak the name of Jesus, right? Um, Did she feel powerless? Yeah, probably, right? Powerless to do anything about the lot in life that she's been given. And did she feel shameful? If she was ostracized and it was connected to some sort of sin, there was that question. We can only imagine what she, the self-talk, like what she was telling herself, what she thought about herself, And I think about, you know, the Bible is not void of instruction when it comes to talking to us about our thoughts, right? Um, We know this verse um, that comes so strategically after talking about anxiety in the Bible, um, just as a side note, but look at um, verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right 
and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Guys, I always ask this question, like, why is it that the meanest person we've ever met is ourselves? I mean, really think about that. I say stuff to myself I would never tell my kids. I would never tell anyone. Michelle, you're such an idiot. What'd you do that for? You know, you're so stupid. You know, oh my gosh, I can't believe, of course you did that. You know, like I would never say that to my kids. But yet I find myself, you know, saying stuff to, you know, me looking myself in the mirror and saying stuff that it's like, what? You know, where did that come from, right? Um, Not everything that we think, guys, is true. Come on, say that again. Right? (laughs) Think about that. Not everything that pops into our head is true. It's not accurate. But one of the most simple pieces of instruction that we got from our creator comes in this chapter asking three simple questions, right? And this is not, you know, I taught this to my girls this year. I teach this all the time. But it, it's, it's not anyone's material except the word of God, right? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind, right? Um, is it true? We think a lot of thoughts per day, guys. I think um, they say we have about 70,000 thoughts that run through our, our head on any given day, right? There's got to be at least one or two of those that aren't true in there, right? Yeah. And so when we're thinking through that, we tend to believe that if it's in our head, it's got to be accurate, yeah. right? And it doesn't matter what other people have said in our life. We thought it, so it's true, mm. right? And despite the crazy things and, you know, those things aren't said out loud, right? The crazy things and the, the, um, the beliefs that we've had about ourselves, the crazy things that pop into our head over the years, we still trust them, Right. Like, we still trust the fact that, like, I know you think crazy things, but yeah, this, this probably is true. Like, what? Right? Things that we would never do or say yeah. to anyone that we loved. Is it helpful? Is that thought, is me thinking, you know, Michelle, you're stupid, right? Did that move me forward or keep me stuck? Right. Is it doing me any good whatsoever? And finally, is it kind, right? Going back to Again, this is not anything new, right? This is all, this is all um, Jesus, right? This is all in the word of God. Is it kind? Do we feel better about ourselves? Would I say this to a young child or my best friend? No. You know, these, these filters are simple, but so incredibly helpful when those roadblocks rear their ugly head, they come up and they try to block us from what God wants us to do for his kingdom, guys. Yeah, I I love that so much because there is so much inner dialogue and it is true. Some of the meanest people we ever would meet would be ourselves. If we would just take what we tell ourselves and put that on somebody else, you wouldn't let that person in your life because you know every time they're in your life, they're like, oh, here, this guy's going to discourage me, you know, and he looks a lot like me. That's interesting, right? So um, I love this. I love this. And what Paul says next is so powerful because he says of what we're to fix our thoughts on, but look what he says in verse nine. He says, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. And as Michelle said, this whole passage is is really talking about anxiety and the opposite of anxiety is peace, right? So this is what we want. And what Paul is saying here is like, look, you guys need to put into practice some things. So it's, it's this action step that follows what we're to think about. So here's what we are to think about Here's what we're to not be thinking about. And now here are some action steps I need to take 
And Paul makes it clear, right? These are the things you learned from me, received from me, things you heard and you saw me doing. You know, that implies that Paul, he mentored those people. He walked with them. He, he showed them. He wasn't just going to preach a sermon and see you next Sunday. He's l- doing life with them. They're watching the way he lives. They're watching the way that he kind of lays his life down for other people and the way that he would uh, put what you're saying into practice. Like, hey, I'm going th- to choose where my mind goes. I'm going to choose where I put my thoughts. And so he can confidently say to this church, hey, this is what you saw me do. I want you to put that into practice. You know, I saw you do some things. And, and when we were preparing for this sermon, I, I got emotional a few times because I was thinking back to the action steps I saw you take. Because it was a huge step of vulnerability even to tell me at first that that was the voice in your head. That was the roadblock. And then when we were looking at that test and you, t- you got the testing materials to study for it, and I was there and I would see the, the, the big, huge thing come up and the tears flow... I'd love for you to share just just some of the steps you took because I just thought it was just an incredible, uh, really a walk of humility and vulnerability in that whole in that whole thing. It was I, I was blown away. Yeah, there's there is a you know a popular phrase right that we're only as sick as our secrets, meaning that we have to speak out some things right. And I made a choice early on. I'm not saying it was easy and it was just the first thing I wanted to do. Yeah. But to gather my tribe, my people, you know, I had to speak that out loud to like my professors and my supervisors. And they're probably like, oh, my gosh, what do we get ourselves into with this one? You know, but like I had to say, like, I am terrified. And I remember the, you know, um, my therapist being like, oh, what is what is this? We've got to figure this out. And so I decided to do some intentional steps. I, I you know, I had some intentional therapy done on that negative belief and invited my tribe to pray. And I spoke it out loud. I spoke it to Brad. I decided I'm not going to hide this. You know, I'm mm-hmm. not going to hide this in shame and embarrassment. Um, recently, I just shared it with my entire you know class that I teach all my girls. I'm like, okay, this is Michelle's because. You know, it, there is so much power, guys, when we, we can either go um, and be filled with shame or embarrassment, or we can just speak stuff out. So I know I'm looking at a crowd of people. Every single one of you have a negative belief about yourself, right? We all have one. And we might not know what it is, but we, you know, we would, we'll know it when we see it, right? And I remember just looking at this big old list, and I was like, that, that one right there, you know? It came when I was 16, and here's the circumstances around it and all the things, Right massively freeing, um, in my, you know, in my world. And so, um, yeah, I did all that. And, you know, it wasn't helpful that during school they were like, yeah, it's like a 70% fail rate the first time for everyone to take this test. You know and I'm like, ew, don't tell me that, you know, so that was, and then I knew someone that like, you know, took many, many years to pass it. And so that just didn't help. But I mean, I would think about it and just start sweating. Right. It was horrible. Um, and I didn't say this to the last service and they were like, please tell us what happened, you know? And I, I passed both of them the first time it was great, you know, but like it was, um, it was a massive, like just spiritual, like, you know, battle and, you know, redemption and, you know, all the things. So, and I yeah. remember thinking, and I'm probably going to cry right now. Ew, why? But you didn't I'm, do this last time. I know, but ah, I just saw so much courage that she had. Cause I know if it would have been me, I would have been too embarrassed to tell people that I needed help. And I would, I would have probably just failed 
And then I would have just not been a therapist if that was my story. Um, they don't make pastors take tests, so. <laughs> I was taught a huge lesson by her humility and her courage to face that uh, lie and not let it keep you uh, from doing what you needed to do to have victory. It was a beautiful lesson she taught me in the Christian life because we can say we have faith, but if we don't have works, right, then um, there's always an action step. You can say, oh, I believe God is going to do this. And sometimes, let me, let, me, let me go off script a second here. I think sometimes we have a set of expectations that we say, God, this is how you're going to meet my needs, and you're going to do it in this way. And he's, he might look at that and say, that's not how I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it a whole different way. It's going to take you putting all of your expectations on me on the altar. And you're not going to tell me how I'm going to move you forward. You're going to first just surrender everything to me and let me take you on a journey. So stop telling God how he's going to bring the healing. Stop telling God how he's going to do whatever it is that he needs to do or you're expecting him to do. Why don't we start by saying, God, you're king. And even if I stay right here and I just need to stay here a little longer, God, that's okay. Because God, what's more important than anything else is that I trust you with every part of my being. And I'm not going to let my pride or my embarrassment keep me from asking people to pray for me, to getting therapy myself, whatever is needed. I thought that was such a powerful lesson that you taught me and everybody else. I mean, it was really, a really incredible thing. And in our story today, we see the same thing. This, because back to our story back in Mark. So this woman, she has been suffering for 12 long years. So for a comparison, for 12 years, the thought of that test hangs over her, right? For 12 years, she's sitting there thinking, when is this ever going to end? Am I ever going to have freedom? And it says in back to Mark 27, it says, she heard about Jesus. I love that. Because that tells me somebody told her about Jesus. Somebody said, hey, there's this healer, rabbi, Maybe he's more than that, but he's been going around Galilee and he's been healing people. I wonder if he could help you. Guys, right at that moment, that woman had a choice. Whoever told her about Jesus presented an option for her that she had to make a choice on. Is she gonna take that step or is she gonna be like, nobody can help me? I mean, that could have been her response, right? I tried everything. And have you met people who've tried everything, right? Have you met people who already know everything, right? You can't help them. Like, hey, you might try Jesus. Oh, I've tried everything, right? I mean, now we look back at that, that's crazy. Like, Jesus really is somebody special, right? He could change anything, right? But back in those days, like, nah, I tried Jesus, or I tried something else, you know? I'm sure Jesus is no different. And so she hears about Jesus. Now, let's go through the story. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe, for she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I can be healed, Right? And so let's go to the next one, verse 28 or 29. So immediate, so she does that. So she sneaks up behind Jesus, right? And she gets right up and she reaches out and she touches, she touches his robe and immediately she feels healing inside of her. Verse 29, immediately the bleeding stopped and she feels this, that she's been healed from this terrible condition. And now verse 30, it says this. And so Jesus realized that once the healing power had gone out from him and so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? Have you ever been uh, caught with your hand in the cookie jar before? 
Have you ever just like, okay, I'm going to, you know, and you were caught red-handed. I don't know, maybe it was you just were going too fast through a speed zone. And right there's the police officer. And no offense to all the cops in the room. But you know, right, like, oh, right. I, you know, I caught red-handed. All right, that's her, right? She's, she had this whole thing in her mind. I'm going to walk up behind him. I'm going to just reach out. No one's going to know. And because if anyone found out, they could start calling me out as unclean. And I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be in public. And so she's reaching out, and I could just picture it, the courage. I mean, I've, 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 I've imagined her kind of rocking back and forth, you know? Like, she's like, okay, I'm going to go, you know? Like, she's going to jump off some cliff. You know how that is? Like, okay, I'm going to go, you know? And so there goes Jesus, and she reaches out, and immediately everything she hoped happened. She feels herself healed. And Jesus feels something inside of him, which is interesting. There's this internal feeling both of them feel there's a spiritual connection between Jesus and this woman. Jesus has just been shuffling up to Jairus's home and all of a sudden he stops. And then he says the words she does not want him to say, who touched me? Right? And you know the disciples after a while, if you know the story, they said, Jesus, there's a lot of people touching you. What do you mean? And he goes, no, no, somebody just was healed. And so in this, in this incredibly difficult moment, the woman is, uh, is realizing that she's kind of found out. Verse 32, Jesus won't stop. He won't like let it go. He keeps looking around. Like, oh, she, I can imagine her thinking, just keep going to Jairus' house. Who cares, right? But he won't. He's going to make a point of this. This is so powerful. This is so much truth right here, church. He won't leave. He's going to make a point of something. And so finally, and I don't know how much time passes, verse 33, then the frightened woman trembling at the realization of what had happened, came and fell to her knees, where? In front of him. Where was Jairus at our story? He came and he fell at his knees in front of Jesus. Where's the woman in our story? Now she is not not in the back anymore. She is in front of Jesus. Jesus has this really important moment because there's probably lots of things she thinks about herself. I'm, I'm unlovable, I'm unworthy. More people are more important than me. And Jesus is not going to buy into that. He's not going to condone that lie. He's not going to believe that roadblock. In fact, he's going to bring her in front of him and in front of everyone else also. And he's going to raise her up and he's going to say some powerful words. Hit this next word. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Think about every single word in this sentence. Daughter. That is a social just reunion with the society. You are no longer an outcast. You are a daughter. Daughter, your faith, not everyone else, not Jairus's, not these important people, your faith, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. And in healing her physical body, he heals her social outcast state status. She is brought back into the family and elevated in front of everyone. Guys, I want to show you something here, and this is so important. Jesus loved her too much to let her keep believing she wasn't as important as Jairus. He loved her too much to let her keep believing that other people mattered and she didn't. He loved her too much for her to think that God was angry with her. 
that what had happened to her was the result of some kind of sin that she was being punished for. Guys, here's the powerful, powerful truths. Every single roadblock has a lie behind it, but every single breakthrough has the truth behind it. The question only remains, are we gonna be people who believe the truth over the lie? That's the question in front of every one of us this morning. Are you gonna face your roadblock and let Jesus move it? That's our big idea this morning. Our big takeaway is, what are you gonna do with the roadblocks that are in your life? Are you gonna face that roadblock? And are you gonna let Jesus move it or not? The roadblock isn't just gonna go away. It's a big concrete barrier. You, you can't do it. It's bigger than you, it's bigger than me. But if you bring that to Jesus, and if you say, Jesus, I want freedom from this, I want the truth of who I am, who you say I am. I want that to defeat this roadblock. I want you to help me move past it. You know, as Michelle and I were talking about this, we were saying that, you know, a lot of times we think about about things maybe a little incorrectly. We need a little help because it's not a switch that you can flip. You can't just stop, but it's more like a dial you can turn down. And with the help of the Lord through these resources that he gives to us, we can start to turn that dial down. Because friends, there might be some things that we never fully, fully find total victory over in our life. There are things God can heal us from, and I'm not trying to have a lack of faith here. I'm trying to explain, I think, what my experience with the Lord is. There are some thorns that he keeps in our life and that keep us depending on his spirit for power and grace over them. That doesn't mean God isn't strong. That just means sometimes that our weakness is, his strength is perfected in our weakness. That means that if that dial starts to flare back up, that negative belief, whatever yours is, starts to flare up, that's when you re-plug back into your community. You re-plug back into vulnerability. You re-plug back into, into prayer. And you're like, Lord, I know this isn't true. I'm gonna keep fighting this lie with truth. I'm gonna keep dialing this dial back down with truth. Because the fact is, friend, the enemy has one desire, and that's to derail your life. That's to keep you, your, your witness and your, and your influence just completely ineffective, to keep you from having victory. Guys, this, and we'll talk about this in the series in the weeks to come, but these roadblocks impact our marriages and our relationships. They impact the way we think of ourselves at work, the way we navigate you know, troubling times, these roadblocks, these lies that are in our life, friends, they keep us from handling life the way a Jesus follower should. And the only question remains is, am I gonna believe the truth over the lie? You know, Michelle, when you were going through what you went through, there were a few things you did specifically, and I'd love you to share some of those with the church that really helped you with that roadblock. Yeah, just as we, as we end, guys, I think it's so important and so powerful that you identify that belief, that lie, that roadblock that is keeping you from the next step in your relationship with Jesus, with other people. The enemy wants nothing more than to keep it that way, keep it so prevalent in your life so that you aren't furthering anything for the kingdom, that you continually stay in just a state of struggle. And so you might not even know, like I said before, you might not even know what it is. Um, You know, Google negative belief list. There's a bazillion of them. Look at a list, figure it out. 
name it, right? Name it, speak it out loud, get rid of the power that it has over you. You might need to do some intentional therapy and some work. Guys, don't be too proud to do some some work on yourself. No one in here is superhuman, right? No one can go through some of the things that you've gone through and just be like, I'm fine, it's great, I'm good, it didn't affect me. Like that's a lie from the enemy, right? That's gonna be that roadblock. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about just some you know some books and some different resources at the end um, that I think would be helpful. But that idea of like it's not just something you switch on and off, right? When it gets turned up, what are you gonna do to turn it back down? Be intentional. Attack it. Yeah. Could we stand, church, as we get ready um, in just a few minutes to celebrate twelve people giving their life in public celebration to King Jesus in baptism. Before we go out and celebrate with those 12, I want us to have a moment in this place. If I could have every head bowed and every eye closed, we can't have a conversation like we did today and just go on. We have to stop and we have to process just for a minute. And right where you stand, I want to give you an opportunity to process. I'm going to have the prayer team up front, but this is an opportunity for us to come forward to Jesus. Maybe you come forward and you ask for prayer. Maybe you just come forward to pray by yourself. The prayer team won't bother you if you just want to pray. But guys, I want us to picture ourselves for a moment as that woman once again, that woman. And she's in the back of the crowd and Jesus is walking past and she's thinking, am I going to move? Am I going to try? What am I going to do? And I want you to think about maybe you're in that same place right now. And as this this sermon has been uh, spoken, it's been really clear. The Holy Spirit's been really clear to you about what it is that's in the way that needs to go, that needs to be attacked at the root. And you need to give it to Jesus. And the first step might be just coming forward and getting prayer or just praying. But right there, that's the act of, of humility, right? Because it's embarrassing maybe. What are people going to think if I walk forward in a church service? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> no one's going to think anything. But the voice in your head says they are. And that keeps us from really taking steps of humility. And so I want us to tell you right now, this is your opportunity to surrender to King Jesus If you want to come forward right now, even as I'm speaking, you can just come and start praying. Just fill up the front because I want to speak to those who maybe don't know Jesus yet. So you guys that are Christians, the Holy Spirit's been ministering to you. This is your chance. It's open. Please come and pray if you need prayer. Give, Give God your roadblock right now. Identify that to Jesus and let him move. Ask him for his help. That's your That's your opportunity, church. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, If you're here this morning and you've never bowed your knee to King Jesus, I want to speak to you this morning. Right where you are, you could say a prayer that just calls out to Jesus. It's the first step in your relationship. And this prayer is a prayer of humility. It's a prayer of of, of faith. And you pray this to God, to Jesus. You say, Lord, I need Jesus in my heart. I believe he died on the cross for me. I want him to come into my life. I receive him as my king. Please, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. I have sinned. I've done bad things. But you've taken those, those sins on your own self. And you died. They were, they, were, they were dismissed. They were canceled. 
because you, you died for me and you, and, you, and you died for those sins and they're gone now. And I asked Jesus into my life, if you, have, if you prayed a prayer, something like that, a prayer of asking Jesus to be your savior, we wanna walk with you as a church. On the QR code, there's a place to say, I've, I've become a Jesus follower. You can click that. We will follow up with you. You can be baptized like the rest of this crew um, in our next baptism. But we just wanna always give you that invitation to receive Jesus in every service. So if you've never trusted Jesus, do that right now. We're gonna give a few more minutes. There are more people out here that I think really do need to like let this moment be their moment where they start that journey. So I wanna give you an opportunity a little bit longer to come and pray. Just come and pray. And just say, Lord, maybe your prayer is this, God, today I ask for the strength to start on the journey past the roadblock. Maybe that's your prayer. Maybe it's the prayer, it's the start prayer. Lord, I'm gonna ask for the strength to start this journey. I know what that roadblock is and I know it's not just gonna magically disappear. So Lord, I pray for the strength to go on a journey to move that roadblock. I'm not gonna let anybody stop me. I'm not gonna let what my parents said or what that ex-spouse or ex-boyfriend or girlfriend said. I'm not gonna let that person, that boss, or what they said, I'm not going to let those voices win anymore. My voice, Lord, I'm truly going to let the voice of the shepherd, the good shepherd who laid down his life, I'm going to let his voice speak. Maybe that's your prayer.